<sighs> so, uh, Barry Weiss is back in the news. Uh, remember when we did that thing, that uh, fucking cold open thing? I do. Yeah. Now, what if we did uh, an expanded version of that or something? I don't know. Oh, you got something in mind? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Well, Let's see if I can figure something sh- out. Show me what you got, and we'll see if we can work with okay. it. Well, I've heard people say that uh, you're too much of a Hasbro hack, baby. But, but, but I don't know about that. So many times you've put down words and shared tweets and written garbage. Doesn't seem like it's enough. There's just not enough of it, Mary. There's really not enough. Oh, yeah. To hate read. All right, Barry. Yeah. Woo! You shit bird, yeah. I can't get enough of your bad tapes. Oh, I don't know, I don't know why. I can't get enough of your dumb tapes. Some things you can't relate to. Uh, no matter how you try. Just like Arabs are human too. Not vermin who should die. Oh no. Tell me, how are you so dumb? What did your parents do? How do they feel when they see they made you? What kind of crap is this? The times is giving me. Is it cause you're young and troll us just for clicks? Girl, all I know is every time you ride, I feel real sick. My brain cells die. I scream your name. Do what you gotta do and shit bird eye. Oh. I can't get enough of your hot tapes, yeah, yeah. Barry, I don't know, I don't know why. I can't get enough of your bad tapes, oh, yeah. Girl, the dark web's not a thing. You're only keeping fascists, yeah, yeah. You should keep the name Salazar right out your fucking mouth. You mad, bro? How do you like the taste of sour grapes? You smear the left so much, you got so many feels. You clown yourself more and more each time. What else can you do because we're blowing your mind? You write the same bullshit every single time. It never changes, you corporate tool. I scream your name, do what you gotta do, and shit bird, yeah. I can't get enough of your bad tapes. Oh, you shit bird, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't get enough of your bad tapes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't get enough of your bad tapes. Oh, Barry. Barry, 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 if there was absolutely any justice in this world, you better believe you'd spend the rest of your life in a, in a salt mine. Ha ha. Suck it, Barry Weiss. We won this one. But, 
uh, you go ahead and you keep pissing in the wind. You neocon loser. Fuck you, Barry Weiss. All right. How was that, babe? So good. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. I uh, I might need to uh, clean off this chair before I come into work tomorrow. It's a little moist. It has a snail trail or something. I'm not saying shit. And Sam, if you're listening, that was only a joke. Welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best and leftist is bestest. I'm still working on that. Uh, I am Jamie Pack. I am Sean KB. And I'm AP Andy. And we are here with a very special guest today, writer, celebrity, <laughs> all-around cool guy with good takes, David Cleon. Hello. So, what, what's up? How is everyone doing today? I'm great. I've, I've had a very chill day. I was at the Brooklyn Book Fair. Uh, you know where I go every year. What table? Uh, the Jewish Currents table, actually. Oh, I should whew. take this opportunity to plug Jewish Currents, the uh, the new, not new, but revived left Jewish magazine nice. that I've written three long takes for, and uh, my friends do all the editing for. My girlfriend's on the editorial board. It's great. We're like a family. Nepotism. Which, I like it. Would I you like say it. it's like uh, J Street left or lefter than J Street? Uh, left? We're definitely lefter than J nice. Street. Well, it's funny actually because several of uh, the the people involved in in this kind of revival came out of J Street U and moved left out of J Street U. Oops, sorry, uh, J Street. No, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like the the main thing, the main gift that J Street has uh, given the Jewish left is to kind of reveal exactly how depraved the uh, Zionist establishment is. And I think there are a lot of people who went in being like, yeah, we're pro-Israel and pro-peace. And then they were like, wait, there's actually zero room for that at all. I, I say uh, make the Jewish Bund in the Pale of Settlement great again. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm, I'm all for... Uh, you know, resettling Belarus with with our people in a in a social democratic state. It sounds good to me. One left Jewish's erotic adventures from Milan to Minsk. <laughs> <laughs> That's all well and good, but David, yes. it's time to stop fucking around and tell us how pure is your hate today. <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm actually feeling kind of generous these days. Oof. I mean, I I feel like. Uh, we we had a really good week. The left. Uh, I mean, my hate for Andrew Cuomo is always very pure. Mm. But we took four out more years of hate. Four more years of hate. But you know, I I, I think we're going to put his feet to the fire. I hope so. I mean, we we just kicked out his entire pro Republican caucus pretty much from the state senate. And we got him it. to say America is dog shit. <laughs> yeah, we did. We we got him to, uh, to to have it both ways on whether America is or isn't dog shit. Uh, in in maybe the least competently executed fight with Donald Trump of all time. Uh, no, it it was uh it, it was it was a good week for the left. It was and it was an uplifting week for the left even though our statewide candidates all got beaten by varying extents, but yeah, Jumani almost made it. That one that, that one was, cool. was surprising. I thought yeah. that Jumani might have pulled it, but for some reason uh, upstate uh, New York voters did not take to a man named Jumani Williams from Brooklyn. <laughs> it I was, can't imagine why. It was mysterious, but no, and I mean meanwhile, uh I think Zephyr, Teachout, and Cynthia Nixon both did better upstate, and it's uh, it's downstate, and frankly, non-white neighborhoods in New York where they didn't do as well, but uh, which is something the left needs to work on. But I was at the what we had hoped would be the victory party of those three, and even though they all lost, I, I got the sense that everybody, including them, was in a pretty good mood with all Wait, these. Uh, where was that? That was in Flatbush, mm. not far from where I live. Jumani's uh, district, right? Yeah, in this uh, uh, big lounge. Tons of uh, media people there, tons of left people there. I did not make it um, 
to what I heard was the party of the night, the Julia Salazar party in Bushwick. A couple of us Pretty popping, gotta yeah, say. It was pretty popping. Um, you know, we'll, we'll just bypass the fact that <clears throat> your hate is very impure today. <laughs> that's not characteristic of our show, but you know what? That's fine. It takes all kinds, folks. Uh, Jamie was in the city as the results were coming in. I was checking the polls. Actually, Andy and I were texting back and forth because we're obviously very interested in Julia Salazar, mm. 18th District State Senator, an actual socialist. Friend of the show. Member, friend of the show. We can say that now that she actually got elected, and they can't use that against her. And friend and, of mine as well. And friend of David's. So we, uh, when we, when I found out she won, we were both like, okay, let's go to the party, because do you I really want to go? I was going to go anyway. I wasn't going to go anyway. Well, <laughs> like, I'm in DSA, and you're not, so that makes yeah, sense. that's fair. I but, was on my way back from therapy, actually, and I was texting with Sean, and I was trying to get a plan in place before I went underground. If she didn't win, Jamie was going to go right back to the therapist after all the work she put in uh, canvassing mm-hmm. and uh, writing about it and uh, opining about it. But uh, it was a lit party. We saw a lot of our good leftist friends there. We saw Alex Press. We saw Doug Henwood, Liza Featherstone. Good old Jake Flores from the last episode was there as well, along with tons of very, very happy, happy comrades in and out of the DSA. Yeah. Glad that a socialist won in Brooklyn and is going to Albany. Hell yeah. I'm going to be honest and admit that that was the only race I really cared about, so I True. am happy. So, I, uh, but... I was invested in a few others, including uh, in my own district in central Brooklyn, where we had a, a really great guy, Elner Myrie. He, oh, yeah. He does, oh not, yeah. he does not identify as a socialist, but he's definitely socialist sympathetic, hangs out with socialists, and is just a, a really smart, chill guy. And the guy he, he beat, uh, uh, Jesse Hamilton... By all accounts, an asshole, and also was actually in the IDC and voting for Republicans to control the state Senate. So that was that's what's up. That was a very satisfying victory. So, and I know I know Zellner and I know Julia. So that means I now know two uh, incoming senators, which is very exciting. Hey, very nice. not, pop- not bad to yeah. have the ear of a state senator. Real um, power broker here. Before we get any further into the the results of the primary, um, I. Just wanted to ask our guest a couple quick questions about himself so we know who we're dealing with. Um, and I know perhaps it's not that exciting, but I would still like to know um, how you got into socialist politics in the first place, David. Well, you know, I, I grew up a liberal. Uh, I grew up just a standard issue liberal Democrat in the D.C. suburbs. Uh, my family talked about politics a lot. Um, I always, you know, supported universal health care and things like that. But I, but I, you know, and gay rights. But I thought that... Uh, I thought the system basically worked. You know, I thought there were good and bad people in it, and we hashed things out, and we were a democracy. Wow, and then, boy, were you wrong. Boy, was I wrong. Well, but, you know, being being uh, an older millennial, I've, I've had occasion to see every single, uh, you know, catastrophic failure of the system over the last 15 years or whatever. And um, I would say, you know, the obvious war on terror, uh, 2008 crisis, and so on. And, you know, long story short, shit is fucked up and bullshit. And uh, I got very into the Bernie campaign and never looked back. Shit is fucked up and bullshit. Now that's the Antifada mindset. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. I think I had a similar journey to you, really. Um, and one thing I admire about you, because I know it's very tricky, is um, the ability to sort of change and evolve your politics once you're, you already have a writing career. Because I've seen this in my own life and in other people's, like the media really disincentivizes journeys to the left and to some degree incentivizes journeys to the right. No, it's like, oh, and now I believe in capitalism and I'm smart. It's never like I grew up and now I believe in communism. What? And like, if you already have a career as a liberal writer, it's hard when you realize, oh shit, 
my new politics are the correct ones, but I don't know as much about them as I do about being a liberal. It's like you don't want to lose that authority. So it kind of incentivizes you to stay the same. Has that been your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I think what goes on is a kind of, um, you know, the, the, the quest for ideological diversity that the right has been pushing forever with incredible success, which basically forces universities and mainstream media outlets and so on to give, uh, undeserved, I would argue, and intellectually unearned um, uh, authority to to people who are right of center um, and forces liberals to engage with them constantly. And then that creates a set of weird incentives, too, where like if you're a liberal who has conservative friends, uh, that's that's a point in your favor in the media. If you're a liberal who calls out the left and, uh, you know, explains why the right is, is, is actually correct about something that, that always plays well. And meanwhile, the, the one group that always gets left out in the cold is, is the actual left. Uh, and since I grew up in, in, in the DC area where, you know, most people are Democrats, but they're very much Democrats, uh, and everything has to kind of be within the rules and everyone's kind of bought into the system. The left was always seemed very fringe where I was. And it's been a journey to understanding it as a, as a mainstream current in, in American life. Well, we really appreciate uh, when you showed up today that you signed the uh, membership card for the Spartacus League. <laughs> so welcome. Uh, welcome. You, you really made it on your journey. Yeah. Uh, I think just I'll say real quickly before we go back into Salazar and electoral politics and assholes who are on that uh, center right or right like Barry Weiss. Um, I think maybe two people in this room have kind of been pulled slightly to the right, which would be Andy and I. I think uh, anarchist me celebrating a uh, socialist uh, bourgeois politician uh, 20 years ago probably would be appalled. I'm just a liberal now. Oh, you are? Yeah. Oh, cool. Guys, we have a liberal on the show. We take all kinds. So uh, two Spartacus and our producer is a uh, shit lib. I don't know how to be a lib. I'm like a lot of new DSA people where, you know, I've got like... I'm really over-presenting, like, the emojis and, and stuff, but the I don't really know what's going on about shit balls. it. <laughs> are, you, uh, are you basically Michael Ian Black at this point? <laughs> they, they'll give you a pamphlet called Why Liberalism. Don't worry. I imagine they have similar pamphlets to the ones we give out in DSA, only ours say Why Capitalism. No, it's just sit down in front of MSNBC for 12 hours, like, in Clockwork Orange with a Ludovico treatment, you know? They just sit you down there and... Uh... But actually at... Um, at the Brooklyn Book Fair today, there's you know there's a lot of people there, and through this crowd of people, this canvasser came up directly to me with his clipboard that said "Flip the House," <laughs> and I was with somebody, and she talked to only me, and she said, "We need you to help us flip." The house. It's like, how did you know that I'm a liberal? <laughs> it's like the uh, Hasidic Jews or the Orthodox Jews that go yeah, up like, exactly. are, you, are you Jewish? And then if you say, yeah, I'm a reformed, like, oh, let me put weird leather things on you and put a mezuzah on your face or whatever they do. So anyway, I'll my, be talking my, about Beto work for half an hour. Right? Okay. <laughs> uh, my experience has been that if I deny that I'm Jewish just for expedience, they they don't believe me and they don't accept it and they argue with me about it. So, that, yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> See, thankfully, I don't have that problem. It's but, a Brooklyn you know, curse. That's called okay. goy goy privilege. <laughs> Are you a crypto Jew? (laughs) Actually, I am. Uh, We went back in the family history, and uh, in the old country, my family was Jewish, at least on one side. Shit. Yep. Crypto, just like Julius Salazar. (laughs) We were not Ladinos. We were uh, Ashkenazis, I'm guessing, but you never know. Well, happy crypto Rosh Hashanah. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Yeah, Shana Tova. Close enough. Thanks. Uh, Not crypto enough. (laughs) And sometimes I like to imagine that I have... um, Sephardic Jews in my past because my mom and I look a little bit Spanish, but uh, I think that's just yet one more bit of speculation that uh, we don't need to 
unless I unless I run for office someday. In case I run for office someday, you know, it might come back to bite in me. In case you run for office, somebody might go through with some calipers and a yeah. genealogical chart and do some race science on you, as we found out just this week. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yes, I would like to get into this. Uh, Start again with more uh, fervor. Let us jump in to the first major meat of our episode, and that would be... Major, major meat. The first major meat. Talking some big, thrusting, uncut, 30 minutes of meat. Yes, so... (laughs) You can cut that out. That's disgusting. (laughs) 30 minutes of meat is like seven minutes in hell, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, So, our old friend Barry Weiss, uh, bringer of takes, um, as... Mentioned earlier by uh, Barry White. She has a fresh, hot, steaming pile of take about <laughs> our friend Julia Salazar in the paper of record, of course, as that is where she writes. It's um, in the Cleveland steamer section of the op-ed. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, I don't even want to read her words too much because, like, why, ampl- why bother amplifying this, like, shitbird voice when we could just summarize it? So you know platforming her. That's exactly what she wants. Maybe well, she's going to talking about her. Okay. Well, all right. She's going to cancel her. Uh, very will be heard. Yeah. Very will be heard one way or another. Well, she's made that very clear. <laughs> but true. anyway, um, this whole article. So it's called Julia Salazar, comma, the left's post-truth politician. Mm-hmm. And then the subhead is the Democratic Socialist lied and lied and lied. Then she won handily in Brooklyn. Dead ass. <laughs> and that's, I said the B word. That's but right, bitch. I was, in oh, your face. In <laughs> your Zionist, neocon, intellectual, dark web, shitty, fucking, lying, <laughs> hypocritical, trying to get professors fired for defending Palestinian rights face. Yes, we that's right. We win, you lose, you fucking ghoul. So, yes, exactly. Um, but, I mean, I find it a little bit interesting that it came out after the results came out, after her victory, which uh, is something maybe we can talk about later. But she basically tries to compare uh, Julia Salazar to Donald Trump. Pretty much the same person. In her classic, like, both sides-ism, where she says, oh, Julia, you know, she misrepresented some facts about her biography, and that's exactly the same thing as when Donald Trump lies about, I don't know, how many people were at his inauguration, uh, how many people died in Puerto Rico, just like uh, whether or not he's going to let people die in the streets because they don't have health care. Just like thing after thing that it, I mean, I the, it's self-evident. Like I don't have to explain why that those two things are not the same in Trump any way. Trump does lie about form. being a Christian, though, so that's similar. <laughs> that is that is true. The um, man does not like God. There's no way. Uh, and if there is one, he sure doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would hope not. If there is a God and he likes Trump, oh, we are all in fucking trouble. Oh, if that's the God, oh my God, <laughs> the, that's the darkest thing we've ever said on the show. Mega God. Mega God. <laughs> I mean, I feel like some of the Ben Garrison cartoons kind of give that impression, right? That Trump is this, like, handsome, messianic, blonde yeah. figure. Yeah. yeah. Ben Garrison's really got a hard-on for him. Ben Garrison is cool. I'm sorry. Ben yeah. Garrison's cartoons are amazing. I don't know what you guys are talking about, <laughs> so I'm going to move on to All the right. next bullet point. Listen to a show called Chapo Trap House. Yeah, they yeah. dissect the whole oh, thing. Oh, you know what? I, I stopped listening to that episode because I was, like, in the car or something, and I'm like, I can't look at what they're talking about. This yeah isn't relevant to my life. I think but anyone who's a fan of the male physique would enjoy it. <laughs> I will, I will check it out. I, I have been known to be a fan of that. So 
maybe I will. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, so so the main thrust of this article, right, is that Julia is a liar, and therefore she should not be a politician because she's going to lie to you about stuff that you want to know the truth about. And um, I think David has a story that he would like to tell um, in reference to Barry's own history of truthfulness. Well, yeah. So I, I had a few reactions to this story as a as a sometime critic of Barry. Um, Do tell. Yeah. One one thing is. You know, it's a little rich for Barry Weiss to be going after our friend Julia for being a fraud when one of Barry's most important contributions to um, public life, I think, has been uh, the the huge article she ran months ago about the intellectual dark web, where she basically invented a, a an intellectual movement out of whole cloth and uh, promoted some of the biggest fraudsters in our culture, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, who she's promoted multiple times, uh, with David Rubin. Uh, I don't even know who some of these people are. The professor from Evergreen. Oh, yeah, uh, Brett Weins, yeah. or whatever, Weinstein. All these people are the same to me. Yeah, uh, they're, they're all hucksters. Barry has uh, pushed a lot of hucksters uh, into much more prominent positions via the New York Times. So there's that. Um, but also Barry, yeah, I would say she has her own history of fibbing. And the story that that most comes to mind here uh, was during the Super Bowl this past year. Uh, most people aren't as online as me and were probably mm-hmm. actually watching the game. But during the Super Bowl this past year, she uh, uh, this was when there was a big controversy at Harper's uh, Magazine because they ran this piece by Katie Royfe about you know, kind of a Me Too apologia, and um, and and Barry liked that piece, and lots of other people hated it. And there was this one freelancer, um, and I'll spare her being named here, uh, but but she had a tweet that was basically just fuck Harpers for the Katie Rifey thing. And that's a totally fair statement. Yeah, fuck Harpers. Fuck Harpers. Sure. It's, yeah. it's it's hardly the boldest thing anyone no. said. And this person um, had no connection to Barry at all, but Barry just uh, decided to uh, quote tweet her. And to at in Twitter parlance all of her um, all the places that she said she writes for Such in her a bio. Scab move. In- scab incredibly move. scab move. And said, "What do, what do they think about talking this way?" So yeah, she she basically snitched on a freelancer, and everyone got mad at her. Uh, pretty much across the left liberal political spectrum. I'm mad just thinking about it. Yeah, fucking rats. It's it's an insanely uh, cruel thing to do, and. Um, and eventually she deleted it and said, I don't like to delete things, but in this case I'm going to, uh, because I was punching down, which, you know, she just, just got another insult at this <laughs> that total is stranger in there. such a mean girl thing to say. <laughs> it oh is an incredibly God. mean girl thing. And then I would never say such a thing. No, never. And so flash forward a few controversies later, there was the Mirai Nagasu immigrants, they get the job done thing. Mm-hmm. There were some, some articles she ran about Me Too, you know, lots of people were talking about Barry Weiss, and there was an article in the Washington Post uh, that was very critical of her, and it kind of ran through all of these controversies uh, and suggested that, you know, maybe maybe Barry is not the, the victim of the Twitter mob that she portrays herself as. And this article was, was mostly good, but the one problem with it was uh, it said that Barry had apologized to the freelancer that she, she ratted on. And that's not true. And the freelancer said so on Twitter. And the Washington Post had to issue a correction Oof. clarifying that Barry had lied to a Washington Oof. Post reporter uh, about having apologized to this ah, freelancer. That's a felony. So, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, some some people uh, circles some people least. go to jail and can never vote again when they yeah, do that. That's but right. no, not, look, not I mean, the truth is, uh, you know, plenty of people fib for plenty of good and bad reasons, and. Um, 
all I'm suggesting here is that maybe Barry has some objections to Julia Salazar besides uh, her perceived or actual dishonesty. I think that is a very, very safe assumption. And uh, while we're at it, Jamie, I think uh, you had another story, uh, actually from your alma mater, where Barry Weiss wasn't quite the uh, free speech absolutist that she claims to be today. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I briefly went over this in episode two, or maybe not so briefly. It's been a while. Episode... 19 episodes. Oh, my God. So long. <laughs> can't believe how many episodes we have now. Um, but anyway, um, she was not exactly a free speech activist during her time at Columbia. Um, we were actually the same year at Columbia, so I remember this. Um, she went on a rampage of a campaign along with some of her uh, cohort uh, trying to get professors fired who had expressed opinions critical of the state of Israel. Um, they actually had a documentary called Columbia Unbecoming about that thing in particular. And uh, I'm trying to, I'm remembering now the uh, joke that Neil yeah, sorry, made. Our, our friend that. Neil made the very funny joke that like in these people's minds, that is the worst thing you could say about <laughs> <Right>. someone. Unbecoming. <laughs> Princeton uncouth. Right. But anyway, they, uh, they, they unsuccessfully, for the most part, tried to get people fired or denied tenure for quote unquote harassing or intimidating students in class. It was actually investigated by the ACLU, which pretty much never wants to jump into shit like this. No. They do not like to fuck with the Jewish Zionist uh, New York people. But they investigated it and they found not only were those professors not doing any harassment of the students, uh, the students were actually harassing the professors by engaging in this campaign. So it means a lot coming from them. So glass houses, Barry, well, come on. Well, in fact, my understanding is that that Brett Weinstein story, that evergreen guy, that was presented in a Barry Weiss column and in the Intellectual Dark Web article as, you know, he uh, raised some, like, mild objections to this, like, no whites on campus day and got, you know, brutally harassed off campus. And later somebody actually reported it out and talked to the students who were involved in anti-racist activism. And, you know, would you believe he was actually trolling the students incessantly? Whoa. He was trolling oh. them for years. Yeah. But yeah, I, forgot, for years. I forgot the most important part of the story, which is that later on she tried to deny ever having done this. Of course. And then right. Glenn Greenwald is enough of a messy bitch with time on his hands who used to be a lawyer that he... Uh, did a whole bunch of research and investigating and found like the receipts of all of it. So, well, and actually it was better than that because not only did he do that, but as she was incessantly denying that, uh, you know, she was insisting that, that, uh, you know, she didn't actually do that. Um, Megan Greenwell, who is now the editor of Deadspin, but was the, uh, editor of the Columbia paper at the time, I should say it's my alma mater too. Uh, also came out on Twitter and said, Barry, like, I covered this extensively, and you're just incorrect about what you were doing at the time. Uh, and just to make it clear, I mean, I think we all know this here, uh, but even just to our listeners, there are real um, consequences for this. I think this was around the time that uh, Norman Finkelstein was denied tenure at DePaul, right, uh, because of a uh, smear campaign by, uh, amongst other people, that great uh, liberal free speech hero, uh, Alan Dershowitz, uh, who helped, uh, you know, get him basically thrown out of a nice job. So um, a, de a deeply moral man. Yes, He's never done anything objectionable yep. in his life. But. And, and also doesn't have a, a huge like bone to pick with, you know, folks who criticize Eretz Israel ideology or Zionism in general. You and know? and has, has has never once been on Jeffrey Epstein's plane. <laughs> ah, or, you said it so yeah. we didn't have to. Thank there you. David. He has. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, that that was that was the joke. See, <laughs> see, liberals don't understand jokes. <laughs>
So speaking of liberals not understanding irony, <laughs> um, she also had a funny little part where she says, um, and yet the willingness of Ms. Salazar's supporters to look past her fabrications sounds eerily familiar to the justifications Trump supporters made in 2016. And where you see look past, she has linked to our friend, Will Menneker, friend of the show, of Chabo Trap House, and who's never ironic. He's totally serious all the time. Barry Weiss clearly did her research, knowing who the uh, rules makers are for the socialist left. But go on, read the tweet. Yes. Yeah, so in the linked <laughs> in the linked tweet, Will Menneker writes, and I quote. The answer to your question is, if the candidate in question is a socialist, then they can do, say, or make up whatever they want to get elected. I'm sorry, but those are the rules. I don't make them, but they are the rules. I love working at the rules factory. <laughs> That's his side gig from that show he's on. Yeah, and she linked, she cited that as a source. Have they retracted true. that yet as a, no? Okay. So. Clock's ticking on that one. They, she, they can she only issue some, so many corrections on She used a fake Antifa source for, yeah. for that, one of her last, she just, she, she just like browses Twitter yeah. and makes up articles and she can't get fired. But listen, Why? she makes six fucking figures she has one of the most high profile fucking jobs in media in the entire fucking world and she's this victim right she's like this fucking martyr along with her intellectual dark web guys like david rubin who gets like how much money from the fucking Koch brothers every year to do his stupid fucking seminars the guy probably works like fucking 10 hours a week and he probably makes i don't know seven fucking figures well you now, know? now that you mention it i, yeah. I speaking of the Koch brothers oh, go I, yeah. I think um barry also in the last few months got like I'm going to say a $20,000 prize from um, Reason, uh, the the Bastiat Prize, I think it's called, which is basically just a $20,000 grant from the Cokes oh to keep God. doing what she's doing. So, Fuck. yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's so this is the, this is the kind go- of shit that makes me wonder, yeah. like, if I were going to, uh, say, move to the right for career and financial reasons, like, how would I make that believable? I mean, they would love it. I think if you, they would eat that up, and they, they love it especially. I'm sure if you're a woman, like if you if you just have a story where you saw the light one day, you got red pilled, you you understood that you know that everyone on the left is a fraud, and you you know that because you were there from the inside. I mean, there's there's a there's a playbook for this. But if you're a Republican, and you go to the left, then you're a fake Democrat. You're sketchy. Right, you're doing right. you're gassing up your sleeve. Well, especially if you did it in college, let's say after a, a trip to the West Bank where you saw <laughs> yeah. the occupation up close. I mean, only only a truly deranged person would move left upon seeing what the Israeli occupation entails. Did you believe? (laughs) We had a friend who went on birthright and uh, went directly to the West Bank and uh, immediately ended up uh, getting deported uh, on birthright, which I think is pretty impressive, actually, I have to say. And he's banned from Israel for life. Well, I I have a friend who went on birthright for, like, pretty normal reasons. She was, like, kind of a normal lib. And, you know, she she felt like she couldn't really have an opinion on the Israel stuff because, like, oh, it's so complicated, you know? Like, how could I possibly know? She went on birthright because it was a free trip to Israel. She went to some of the places that you're not supposed to go, I guess, and saw how the Palestinians were getting treated. And much like our friend Julia became an anti-Zionist after that because she was like, oh, wait, it's not as complicated as people want me to think it is. This is fucked well, up what's happening. But, so that's not an uncommon journey to have. Well, and, and I realize this has become such a, you know, Columbia insider thing, but I actually think it's probably worth sharing as as far as we can speculate that, you know, what, what kicked off all of this obsessive interest in uh, Julia's background uh, was this article in Tablet, which is a publication online, a Jewish publication funded um, as a, as a charity by uh, right-leaning uh, Zionists. Um, and uh, 
Barry Weiss used to work there and maintain strong ties to everybody who's there. Uh, and the writer who uh, who did the piece, Armin Rosen, is himself from Colombia. Um, and uh, from what from everything I've gathered following this, uh, you know, on Twitter and everything, his sources seem to have mainly been Columbia campus Zionists who yeah. knew Julia probably before and after her political transition. Yeah, totally unbiased sources, right. there, folks. I mean, this is this is look. Reporters are allowed to report on whatever, and if they get factual inaccuracies or discrepancies, then, you know, that's that's legitimate. But I don't think you can understand the, the Joya Salazar controversy without understanding that fights over Israel at Columbia from the past 15 years will never end and are the subtext of an awful lot of what happens in New York media. Yeah, it's true. So in the same paragraph where she cites uh, Will Menneker as the uh, arbiter of uh, socialist electoral strategy rules, um, she says, she goes on and she says, uh, blah, 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 their supporters' willingness to look past her fabrications sounds eerily familiar to the justifications Trump supporters made in 2016. Yes, he's distasteful and prone to exaggeration, but he's promising to pass policies we like. Supporting him is a price worth paying in pursuit of our goals. To which I say, what exactly is wrong with that? Like... Republicans who support Trump, yeah, a lot of them, they're not stupid. They know that he's not a real Christian, but he's going to appoint judges to overturn Roe versus Wade. So they're, that's a trade-off they're willing to yeah. fucking make. Yeah. You the know? whole takeaway from that Woodward book, book and the, and the uh, Michael Wolff book, too, was basically that everybody thinks he's a fucking jackass, but he's like a very blunt instrument for them to use to pass the things that Republicans always want to pass. Right. right. And actually, Jamie, um, I don't have the article in front of me, but could, could you possibly read the last sentence or two of it? Could you read her kicker? Because there's, there's <laughs> something I wanted to say about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the right has been damaged beyond belief by its embrace of Mr. Trump. That Trumpian logic and Trumpian loyalty is now beginning to infect the left is nothing to cheer. So, so let's let's actually go with uh, Barry's premise. Concern, Joy- concern trolling for us. Yes. Right. Let, let's, let's accept Barry's premise that Julia is in fact the left wing mirror image of Trump. I mean, let's let's that's that's absurd. But let's stipulate sure, that sure. it's true. It's a thought the, experiment, yeah. as Sam or, Harris and the intellectual dark web would do. Yes. Yeah. Or or more broadly, that like the DSA represents some kind of far left, you know, equivalent to, to what's happening on the right right now. Does Barry really want to argue that the right has been like mortally damaged by Donald Trump? <laughs> they control the entire government. Yeah. They control everything. <laughs> They're going to have the Supreme Court for another generation. Like it's they clearly state, working for them. They have power in almost every single state. Right? Like, cl- clearly there are things to learn from this from yeah. the left. I know Barry calls herself a never Trumper and doesn't want to learn that lesson. But I, I think that's pretty clearly the lesson of the past two years. Yep. If Trumpian logic gets you a president in the White House and <laughs> yeah. every yeah. branch of government. Yeah. then call me fucking Ivanka, okay? <laughs> right. and, at, and at another point in the article, doesn't she, like, mention abolishing ICE as, like, some radical, crazy thing? Uh, I mean, it's probably. like... That agency that was created 14 years ago? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we if we want to do stuff like that, I think we're, yeah, we're going to have to to shatter some norms and upset people like Barry. Yeah, and not to mention, like, she holds these two extremes in, like, equivalence with one another, like people do when they compare Antifa with nazis say but like 
I mean, it goes without saying the goals of the far left are good, you know, <laughs> like on the one hand, you have these extremists who want to put children in cages and be racist and sexist and shitty or whatever Barry Weiss thinks is bad about the right. And then on the other hand, you have people who want to give everyone health care and a good life. Like, what the fuck? This extremism is terrifying. Listen, to me. there's there's a two word rejoinder to that, and it's Ma Venezuela. <laughs> So um, Zionist neocons are not the only people who've had strong reactions to Julia winning in uh, North Brooklyn. Um, And there are also liberals who are quite upset. Not all of them, some of them. So I just want to go through real quick the different reactions that we have seen from our friends in the world of the Democratic Party. Are we going to get some liberal tears? Are we going to see Andy uh, choke up a little bit here? We might. Andy, trigger warning. Okay. So... Uh, first up, we have the sour grapes libs, um, and these are probably the people who are like the closest to the party establishment power. Although we're going to see some establishment people having a different reaction in a second. But like uh, our pal Nira Tandon uh, tweeted the other day on Twitter.com. Oh, yesterday actually, she quoted this uh, admittedly bad uh, piece. Where is it from? Buzzfeed. Where the person's like, we are all Julia Salazar. Everyone, every well-off millennial misrepresents their past. She says, I'm sorry, what the hell is this? How about not lying about your privilege? Excusing, if not celebrating, the mendacity of the privilege Mm. is some serious upside-down BS. Mm. And, you know, fair enough. Uh, but as somebody else pointed out in the replies to uh, a subsequent tweet of Nira's. <laughs> was it she, Will Meneker? Because he's good at trolling those people. <laughs> it, it was somebody else this time. Okay, okay. Um, she, she tweeted again. She said, the tiniest violins in the world for the tragedies of the Dalton socialists. Mm. So then somebody else pointed out a passage from. Uh, I'm so lump and pearl that Jamie had to like explain what Dalton was. It's a private school. That's true. It yeah. is. It's okay. a private school. Thanks. So that's all well and good, Nira Tandon. But as somebody else pointed out, her uh, former boss, friend, person she stands for forever, Hillary Clinton, um, she might have told some lies about herself, too. For example, um, she said that she and Bill were, quote, dead broke after leaving the White House, which anyone with half a brain knows is, at the very least, a wild misrepresentation. I think most Americans would... uh you know, consider a hundred and eighty thousand dollar a year pension and health care and secret service protection for the entire for the rest of their lives. Oh, don't forget be... their unlimited earning potential. Oh yes, that thing Book too. Deals. Yeah. yeah. Fifty thousand no, I mean, dollar speeches. As I recall, the reason that Hillary Clinton said they were dead broke was to explain why she had and Bell had given all these speeches to banks and stuff. So pretty uh, disingenuous, sour grapesy, whatever, near but, tandem, to be expected. But then uh, you also found some stuff and actually met some people, too, who kind of had a different take on it, right, babe? Yeah, well, then we have the uh, slightly smarter liberals, or perhaps they're just not quite as tied to any one figure and any one strategy, um, like Tom Perez, who wants to take credit for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, as he did on stage at Ozzy Fest. Um, these people know the jury's still out on this uh, progressive wave that they see happening. And uh, all these people care about is power, and they don't want to end up on the wrong side of it. I think that's so, exactly right. I think the uh, they don't know where the smart money is right now, but they make their 
careers out of knowing where the smart money is and with AOC and now with Julia and obviously there's other like what's it uh, Carter Lee Lee Carter Lee, thanks yeah. <laughs> Lee Carter like they, they see something happening and they don't want to be on the wrong it's, side it's twofold right on the one hand they don't want to be on the wrong side of it they don't want to piss all of us angry millennial socialists off because who knows what we might do um, it's also they want to subsume it they want to use right. it they want to take the credit for it, and they want to use it to strengthen the Democratic Party on the backs of grassroots activism by people who fucking hate the Democratic Party and ultimately want to destroy it or replace it with a real workers' party in America. Michael Harrington would not agree, but go on. So I actually ran into a local politician while Sean and I were out uh, passing out literature for Julia the other day near the I polling place. We did do. We stayed at least 100 feet away at all times, so... This is totally above board. It's not going to get anyone in trouble. But anyway, uh, our local assemblywoman, Maritza Davila, she has a headquarters right near where we go to vote in our neighborhood. And the whole front window is plastered with posters, mostly for her, but also for Cuomo and for Delon, who was Julia's opponent in this election. So I decided maybe I'd like make a little change of location i had been by the subway but the delon dudes were all being really creepy to me <laughs> so i was like hmm, maybe i'll go stand over there now i wasn't there to protect her with my manly uh muscles yeah training. yeah so as i was walking past the headquarters for maritza davila who pulls up and gets out of a car but the woman herself and she sees us you know past we've got like julia stuff in our hands and uh I thought she was going to tell me to like go farther away from the polling station because I was like a little bit close. I was on my way to the other side. And right but, in front of her office, too. Yeah, but she, she was very nice, actually. She said, um, you know, I know how hard Julia's been working. It's uh, very unfortunate, all the stuff that's come out about her. But this is, you know, it's politics. I've lived in this neighborhood my whole life. Mm -hmm. I've been in the assembly for blah, blah, blah many years. And, you know, um, if she wins, I will help her learn the ropes. And she was very even handed. She was very polite to us. And it made me feel good because it's a good sign that these people think they have to be nice to us. Mm. It shows that we're winning. It shows that they take it seriously. And I think that can only bode well for the future. Yeah, and for folks out there who aren't in New York, which are most of our listeners, understand that the New York City Democratic Party machine is a powerful fucking machine. So Martin DeLon or anybody who's been up in Albany for many, many years, even two years, like they are very well connected to a very centralized, powerful and ruthless network of political operators who will not physically, but professionally destroy you if you cross them. Yeah, and, and something I think is also just important to emphasize is that after these relentless attacks, and, you know, I think we can all admit some some legitimate stumbles, um, the Salazar campaign won by 17 points. That is. As if a first-time politician who, you know, ran a long-shot campaign with first-time advisors. Years old. 27 All her advisors were, were roughly that age. Um, and, you know, a race this small for state senate, you're not going to see any polling, so people could only speculate on what was going to happen. 17 points after, you know, two weeks of... One of the most brutal opposition British tabloids. Right? Yeah, yeah, British tabloids saying totally unsubstantiated <laughs> yeah. stories about her possible affair with Keith Hernandez, which I do not believe for the record. And he's smiling. But, but if it were true, thing. it would only make us think she was cooler. Right. right. It, and it, it would have secured the Dominican vote. It honestly, honestly, it was a good answer to the the whole like, what? You just moved to New York. You're from Florida or wherever. No, <laughs> like, no, like, I fucked <laughs> the Mets first baseman. <laughs> but okay. But to be clear, to be clear, that never happened. Right. But um, but no. 
I, I just think it's really important to emphasize that this was a huge win and that in addition to Julia beating Martin Delon, the uh, Independent Democratic Caucus, which is a group of uh, eight uh, ostensibly Democratic state senators who uh, caucus with the Republicans and give them control of the state Senate. Six of them were kicked out uh, the other night. So, um, Pretty goddamn good. Yeah, so that that is, you know, never mind the statewide results. There's a revolution happening at the uh, state Senate level in New York right now, and the Democratic Party would be foolish not to recognize the implications of that. Hell yeah, political revolution. So I know we have to move on, but I just have one more category of libs reacting to julia oh, why are there so many types real of quick it's real quick All there's right. there's more than that but i'm simplifying it no, for space good, so there is i think a group of liberals who sincerely cares more about identity politics than they do about anything else and i know this because uh a person who shall remain nameless elizabeth fires um <laughs> i uh i saw her working for the Julia campaign as uh, some sort of consultant. And she actually founded a, uh, a firm after the 2016 election with the express purpose of helping female candidates win elections. And this was very funny to me because the last time I saw her, she was yelling in my face for criticizing Hillary and accusing me of internalized misogyny mm. for supporting Bernie over I mean, Hillary. So uh, show me the lines. Uh, yeah. So like, yeah, maybe at least for this group of people, like they really do care more that she's a woman than that she's a socialist. They cared That's more that cool. Hillary Clinton was a woman than that she Fine. was like a neoliberal warhawk piece of shit. Yeah. And in that vein, like I think it's really good that the DSA is running candidates who are women of color. A lot of the DSA candidates who've been winning elections have been women of color. And I think the purpose is twofold, right? Because a we really do think that representation matters, despite what um, certain uh, shitty shit libs might say about uh, Bernie bros or, uh, you know or people what? within the DSA too, who want yeah. to completely erase race and gender. Yeah, there the are, there are certainly leftists. I don't want to think that they're real, but I know that they're real because I've met them and I have to interact with them, Some of them mo- pop, mostly yes. on the internet. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but you know, uh, uh, th- there was a Rebecca Traister article after Ocasio won that I thought really encapsulated this worldview because, you know, Traister was one of the journalists who was probably most hagiographic about Hillary Clinton, both in 2008 and 2016, and who has recently been very hagiographic about Kirsten Gillibrand and uh, Elizabeth Warren. And yeah, she clearly wants to see a first one president, don't, don't we all? But when Ocasio won she was immediately taking credit for it in a way. A, a person she'd clearly never heard of before Ocasio won. She was talking about how, yeah, like this new generation of women is is rising. And it was like, well, you know, she, she campaigned for Bernie Sanders. Mm. Uh, you know, the entire Democratic establishment supported her white male opponent over her. I'm sure Hillary Clinton did too. And it's like, you know, these, these, these factions matter and they don't break down strictly along identity lines within the Democratic Party. Yeah, and I think the last thing I would say too is that Bernie Sanders is a good example of how identity doesn't make you immune from these attacks because although he is a man, he is also a Jewish man, but was still smeared by the, you know, Clintonite, the donut Twitter, the uh, dead enders over there as some sort of misogynist, racist guy. Even though he, like, I don't know, fucking marched with fucking Martin Luther King and John Lewis and all them. So, like... Well, not to mention he was he was smeared as not a real Jew by oh. my, my good friend Jeffrey Goldberg. And mm. his man, so. Yeah, speaking of Bernie Sanders, um, there was a recent article that uh, came out that you wanted to highlight, right, David, about um, a sort of... 
a, a different topic, but uh, the, uh, an idea of kind of a new left uh, progressive um, international foreign policy apparatus that could potentially be in the works right now. Yeah, I mean, it's still mostly an abstract vision at this point, but this was in The Guardian the other day, uh, and it was by Bernie Sanders and probably worked on by his foreign policy advisors like Matt Duss, uh, who I know a bit and is a, a brilliant guy. And um, yeah, this is Bernie attempting to lay out, possibly with the presidential campaign in mind, we'll see, uh, a kind of new vision for what a left foreign policy would look like, which is something that's interested me for a long time and something I've been uh, tweeting about and writing about a lot. Um, and the gist of it is that, you know, if, if we're going to be running left politicians for office like Bernie, uh, and, you know, it, it's not good enough to um, be kind of anti-imperialist with no policy agenda, and it's certainly not good enough to just take advice from the same Brookings Institution hawks and, you know, hacks who've been around advising Hillary Clinton and people like that forever. We need new left foreign policy institutions. We need new left foreign policy writing and journals. And we need a kind of unified vision. And Bernie's is uh, that it should be centered around global oligarchy and kleptocracy. Hold, hold on, David. Yes. Like, we've given you a lot of fucking space on this show to talk. <laughs> but let me just interrupt you for one minute, okay? We had for about... I don't know, 50 years in this country, a unifying vision, okay, in this country around foreign policy, and it was called the Cold War, all right? And guess what? Russia's still around. And if I watch NBC like every fucking night, and I see a grand unifying vision, and what that is, is to continue the struggle against the brutal, Slavic, scheming, revenge-seeking, dictatorial, authoritarian, communist, well, not communist anymore, but they still seem communist, Russians, isn't it enough to just stand against the Russians who stole our election and who are trying to thwart our democracy and destroy us while they spread their tentacles around the world? Well, you know, that, that certainly gets ratings. Um, <laughs> and uh, to a certain generation that grew up on all that Cold War propaganda, I think it, it, it sells very well. Um, and, you know, there, there, there are elements of it that are worth taking seriously, which is something I've addressed in a lot of my writing. But uh, I think that the left, you know... It's it's fun to make fun of that and uh, and 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 I do it too and but the left has to provide answers I think yes. it has to address you know the legitimate anxieties that people have about the world and about among other things Russian interference and what Bernie is doing uh, that's very much in line with a lot of my own writings is he's trying to emphasize a vision of the world in which neoliberalism has triumphed completely and things are terrible. And, uh, you know, money flows freely across borders. Uh, the 1% in every country all know each other, all have shady deals with each other. There's uh, offshore bank accounts. Um, there's money laundering through real estate in cities like New York and London. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and regular people everywhere are angry. And the kind of putative middle class or intel intelligentsia of most countries are incredibly frustrated. And we saw that with Occupy, but we've seen similar protests in Moscow and Istanbul and Cairo and all over the world. And it uh, this is something that the left can outline in a very proactive way. And Bernie does that. And then what's additionally exciting about his piece is that there's a response from uh, Yanis Varoufakis, who was the um, former, former finance, finance minister, minister of Greece. Yeah. Friend of the show. Friend of the Shout show. Shout out to Giannis. And, and, and a guy, also his um, wife is the inspiration for the song Common People by Pulp, which she is pretty cool. She came from Greece. She that has not been confirmed. Uh, Let's just believe it's, it's been, true. It's been pretty loud. I Let's want to believe, believe it. it. She studied uh, sculpture at St. Martin's College. Yeah, it, it all we got our outro music. 
music. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> I, I always like listening to that song. Yeah, me too. But but uh, Giannis uh, wrote a sort of concurrence letter at the end of uh, Bernie's thing, uh, saying he hit all the right points, and also saying that we need essentially a new progressive international movement. We need conferences and left actors across the world meeting each other that there there is no leftism without internationalism and that you know the left kind of uh, got knocked on its heels by um by the end of the cold war and i feel like most of our concerns have been very domestic since then or you know there's obviously the pro-palestinian rights and a couple other causes like that but having a kind of holistic vision for what do we do about uh about neoliberal capitalism and how can we kind of impress upon the american public that the problems in their own lives are tied to the problems in the global economic system we've championed. Hold on a second. You're using all these terms, you know, and all these facts and all these real things that are happening in the world. I'm way more interested in the actual reality of the situation, which is that um, Putin is excellent at hacking, and he personally went in and stole all of the voter information, created a thousand sock accounts, and uh, basically is, uh, according to some people, in a sexual relationship with Donald Trump. Uh, I actually heard that watching uh, MSNBC. Oh, yeah. I think we have a clip along those lines. Andy, you want to play the clip? Russians, Russian, 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 Russia, Russia, Putin, 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 Russian, 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 Russia, the Soviet Empire, the second of the 20th century's great evils, communism, Russia, communism, Russia, assault by Russia, 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 Putin despises the West in general and the United States in particular, the Soviet Empire, Russia, 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 they're the adversary, they, they want to bring us down the Soviet Union, Russia, undermine the West, Soviet communist communists on the left, Russia, that yeah, so I was joking before when I said, uh, you know, we watch MSNBC because we don't even have cable. Uh, but what we do have is HBO Go. So uh, while we don't actually watch uh, mm. Maddo say Russia, Putin, Moscow over and over and over again, we do have the ability to watch another show, a show called, what's it called? Real Time. Mm. Full disclosure, Bill this is my Maher. dad's HBO Go account. We do not have our own. <laughs> We do not contribute to Bill Maher's salary, I think is what she's trying to say. New rule. You have to use your own HBO account, okay? <laughs> God, if Jamie's dad talked like that. Reagan oh. has to explain how it has become the party of Putin. While Real Time was on our break last month, the infamous P-tape was finally found. It's a high-definition video of a press conference in Helsinki, yeah. and, and it's irrefutable evidence of a Russian hoe, and his name is Donald Trump. Oh, oh sick burn there. Oh. God, is the least funny fucking person. And like most he hoes, he, he always sounds terrified when he's with his pimp. Uh, Again, not funny and also not, not on PC in a good way. This is stupid. In his denial today, and what he did is an incredible offer. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this: I don't see any reason why it would be. Yeah, this is like after 9/11. If Bush stood on the rubble at the World Trade Center and shouted into the bullhorn, "Bin Laden is innocent, and the FBI will hear from all of us soon." Yeah, that would that would be wild yes, if, yeah. if it turned out that like the Bush family had some deep connection to the <laughs> Saudi royal family going back years and had you know some some involvement in in the events that led up to 9/11. That per, would that would be really really crazy. Perhaps made an exception just for members of the Saudi royal family to fly out of the United States when all the planes were grounded after 9/11. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, also, you know, I'm not totally sure that jet fuel can melt steel beams. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm obviously well, that, kidding. That's no, episode 22. You'll have to come back. No, but I, but I do. I did actually have a kind of a serious point there, which is like, 
Russian collusion is real, which, you know, is something that's been an uphill battle to say on the left for about two years. But uh, I think people are coming around. But we can't just look at it in a vacuum. Like, the, the problem here is that all kinds of foreign powers are, you know, intermixed with our uh, political elite. And the Saudis are actually maybe one of the best examples of that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like that's the way we need to talk about Russiagate, is uh, that we get, that our politics gets interfered with from abroad in all kinds of ways, and that the root of this is this culture of total corruption in well, Washington. I think, I think that's related to uh, th- a thing that Bill Maher says a little bit later in the clip. I don't know if you guys can stomach any more of him, but yeah. uh, I, play strong, it? I have a strong stomach. Go ahead. So that's part of the answer. But for such a fundamental shift for an entire party, there has to be something more going on here, and I think there is. I think the dirty little secret about the Republicans and their newfound love for baseball, apple pie, and Mother Russia is that it's about race. Last year... Last year, Ann Coulter tweeted, in 20 years, Russia will be the only country that is recognizably European. As far back as 2013, Matt Drudge called Putin the leader of the free world. David Duke described Russia as the key to white survival. Today's Republicans, what's left of them, do not like the melting pot. And Russia, that pot don't melt. All right, that's enough of that. All right, so I I, I have to say, while... Mar is on to something that the far right does have a, a racist myth about Russia, and I'm sure we've all heard a lot about that, and it's worth talking about. Uh, having lived in Russia myself, uh, the fact that Mar then goes on to present Russia as this super white country uh, is, is actually ridiculous, and, and nobody who knows anything about Russia could believe that. There's a huge migrant population there from Central Asia, from the Caucasus, uh, from actual, you know, East Asia, China, Korea. Um, and so similar to the rest of Europe, where they yeah. had influence in these places in the past, say colonial influences, and yeah. then it kind of blew back, and now these people want to come and uh, live in their country. And I don't think we we listen to this in the rest of the clip, but he, he goes on to like talk about how like London is, uh, you know, super diverse, and and Moscow's super diverse too. It's uh, it's a total misconception. But anyway, well, well it also kind of <laughs> speaks to what you were saying earlier. Like with the Saudi royal family having connections to the Bushes, like maybe it's about more than just the race of the people. Like, could there possibly be some other category, maybe something that transcends nationality that is making the GOP uh, want to do favors for these particular folks? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, notwithstanding David Duke and the far right extreme of the party, uh, I think your your average Republican senator doesn't have any particular affection for Russian Russia. It's just that uh, they, uh, you know, they've they've made their devil's bargain with Trump. They they want their tax cuts. They want Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, who we learned today uh possibly raped a woman in high school uh or tried to or tried to rape a woman in high school there's a very credible sounding accusation on the record um you know they they want all these things and they're willing to make pretty much any moral compromise including putting someone who they completely disagree with on russia in charge of the party and uh regularly undermining and contradicting him uh so it's it's not that there's this this deep Republican affection for Putin. I mean, that's. Uh... Am I misremembering, or um, is this kind of uh, hand wringing by Mil- Bill Mar? Mil- Bar, I must say. <laughs> Bill Mar, uh, a little disingenuous coming from somebody who is consistently and constantly uh, ascribing terroristic and frightening uh, characteristics to Muslim people around the world all the time. Is that the right person? The same yeah, he's person? part of the hysteria against 
Islamic people. Oh, oh, oh okay. All right. I wanted to make sure that uh, I got the hypocrisy right. Well, uh, according to Bill Maher, it's not about race there. It's about religion. And Islam mm. is the mother load of bad ideas. That was my Bill Maher impression. <laughs> I hate it. Please don't ever do that. <laughs> um, do you not, like it more or less than my Alex Jones impression? Oh, my God. I have to choose. I don't want to choose. I choose divorce. Mm, fair. That's anyway. the first time that's happened on this show. For <laughs> anyway. The first time for everything. We had a marriage proposal and now we have a divorce. A divorce proposal. <laughs> I propose a divorce if you ever use those in bed ever again. Check out Last the, night was traumatized. Check out the patrons only bonus to see if I accept or reject this divorce proposal. It's, we're now in reality TV. Hey, it's uh, Antifada's uh, divorce court. We're bending the genre. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I got to I gotta give David some credit here. Because I will admit, like many people on the left, I really did not care that much about the Russia stuff. And I think it, this reaction is uh, its several fold, right? Because on the one hand, you see the libs using it in a very obvious and dumb way to try to distract people's attention away from the ways in which they failed in the 2016 election. Because if it was a fraud, if Trump, if Trump cheated, then it wasn't their fault that Hillary won and they can maintain their claim to power within the Democratic Party and they can keep on doing exactly what they were doing before. So there's a reaction on that front. There's also the fact that the leftists are very action oriented, right? And there's really nothing that we can do about this with yeah. this information. And I think most of us do accept that something fishy went on there. I mean, if you don't accept it at this point in time, I don't know what to tell you, but there's really nothing we can do because it's a legalistic process and we just have to let it continue to play out. But after reading some of uh, David's work on the subject, um, I really have come around to, I mean, not, not necessarily because there's still really nothing we can do about it in the moment, as far as I know, but we can use it to help understand what's going on in the world. And I would add a third type of uh, leftist take on it, which is like a haha, I'm a tanky. I think Putin's mm -hmm. uh, an anti-imperialist force in the world, along with Assad and China. And uh, you, the U.S. just got what it was coming to it because uh, we've been interfering in people's elections all the time. Yeah, ha -ha, and because two wrongs owned. totally make a right. Right, uh, which is completely absurd. So anyways, uh, you want to yeah. see? Yeah, you want to give the elevator pitch on why the left should care about Russia? Yeah, I mean, you can look at Russia if you were to read Naomi Klein's uh, The Shock Doctrine. Uh, Russia features prominently in it because in the 90s, uh, in the aftermath of the Cold War, it was, you know, the U.S. government, Bill Clinton, actually George Bush before him, too, uh, and neoliberal economists like Jeffrey Sachs and uh, Larry Summers pushing uh, really rapid privatization of the Soviet and uh, then Russian economy. Um, and the, uh, you know, selling off of essential assets to a class of oligarchs. And it was a totally rigged process. Uh, Russia had the, I think, one of the worst uh, peacetime impoverishments of any people in modern times. I think the drop in life expectancy is like was like unheard of, except in times of war or famine. Yeah. All of which, by the way, did a lot to discredit the idea of liberal democracy in Russia, and uh, because this is what you get, and, and explains why there is a lot of nostalgia for the Soviet period, even though younger people tend to understand that they're not going back to that. Uh, so, you know, 
we are both complicit in uh, in getting Russia to the point that it's at right now. Also, like I think people like to pretend Russia was liberalizing in the 90s and then it it you know went in this kind of Soviet reactionary course uh, uh, in the 2000s, and that's just a, a misreading of history. Boris Yeltsin and the oligarchs around him chose Putin to run the country. Um, the main difference between Putin and Yeltsin is that Putin is not a drunk. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm totally serious. No, no, it's true. And I remember like, the footage of uh, yeah. Yeltsin just tottering around stage. All, yeah, well, well, yeah. In, in fact, it's fascinating. Um, a bunch of uh, uh, documents were just declassified um, pertaining to the Clinton administration's relationship with Russia, and they really point to the efforts that uh, the U.S. was was making to rig um, the 1996 election, so Yeltsin, who was horribly unpopular by this point, would would win. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, th- so what you, you're saying is we just got a taste of our own medicine, we, you, right? Yes, on one level, yes. I mean, and and obviously not with Russia. I mean, if you're any kind of leftist at all, you know that we've interfered in in meddled in yes. hundreds of countries' elections and true. politics. Wait, and what? We, and, yeah, and we and we still do it. Um, but I I do think that it would be silly to go on a kind of tanky, you know, well we're getting what we deserve now. Maybe we are, but that doesn't mean the American people. And, you know, working class American people are getting what they deserve. Uh, And what we need to emphasize here is not that Putin is the villain, but that politicians in the U.S. and corporate interests in the U.S. accepted this assistance from the Russian government as they accept assistance from the Israeli, Saudi, Turkish, Chinese and so on governments um, and sell out the interests of, uh, of their own people for that. And I think we need to think of it less as like our country versus their country and more as a kind of global alliance of oligarchs that needs to be resisted by a global alliance of the left. That's an excellent point. And I think your article in, it was the, was it the Guardian? Well, I've had articles in a few. I think the New York Times was where I made the case the left should care. The Nation was where I laid out the fullest uh, foreign the policy yeah, that's, idea. That's the yeah. one I read. Oh, are yeah. you are you going to get in trouble for dragging on a fellow New York Times <laughs> contributor? Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people have written for the New York Times. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say, too, is all of this... Uh, you know, Sturm and Drang about Russia and the elections or whatever. I am too, like Jamie said, convinced that there's something there, you know, partially from reading your stuff and also just the reams and reams of like of new information that comes out day by day about it. Um, I think this conversation is happening on this bizarre level of abstraction with Putin and Trump where the actual living, breathing majority of the people and like you said in the united states the working class of the united states but also the working class in russia are completely abstracted away i mean it did not make american news at all uh, because why would it but there were mass protests all over russia last week by working class russian people who were upset about the neoliberal privatization reforms that vladimir putin is making in russia right now and hundreds and hundreds of them were arrested for illegally protesting this thing so like we want to talk about russia but we want to talk about it in this bizarre sort of like geopolitical chess match sort of way when there's working class people in the United States and there's working class people in Russia and everybody seems like they need a break from this system, right? Everybody needs something better than what's happening. Yeah. And in fact, you know, uh, Keith Gessen, uh, one of the co-founders of N plus one has a new novel out called A Terrible Country, which is wonderful. I recommend it. Uh, And a lot of it, and it's set in Russia in uh, 2008 in Moscow and uh, concerns a Russian-American who becomes an expat in Moscow. And he falls in with a group of young leftists there. And one thing that's wonderful about this book is it's it's one of the only things I've read um, in uh, the English language that really 
looks at Russian politics now and maybe Russian politics toward the future instead of just looking back to the Soviet period. And it shows that neoliberalism has been a bad deal for Russia. I mean, the communist period was, for you know reasons I'm sure we all know, horrible for Russia too, at least under Stalin and beyond. But uh, but but people's lives were ruined by privatization, and young people there want something new. And the sad reality is a lot of them want ethnic nationalism. They want xenophobia. They want things that would align them with the right. But we do have left allies of our age uh, and, and sort of general cohort there, and we should be reaching out to them. A hundred fucking percent. And that's just one thing I want to push back slightly on the, the Bernie Yannis Varoufakis thing that you did earlier. And I'm not doing this out of um, my hatred towards uh, you as a human being, although that is part of it. Um, <laughs> I, I accept your hatred. I welcome I just, your hatred. Ah, good man. Yeah. Damn, that's the mindset. Took a while, but you got there. Uh, no, uh, like real talk, though, like one thing I do want to, uh, uh, to point to, though, is that um, like I think these... Just like the election of Salazar, right? These uh, electoral and technocratic uh, fixes, right? And and preparing ourselves for some sort of transitionary future and coming up with new ideas is very very important. And I think it, I'm I'm glad that people are doing that work. Uh, I think that it's a bit of a pushback, but I think ultimately what we would need even to institute some sort of transformational reforms, uh, you know, down the line, 10, 20 years, is a mass socialist movement on the streets in the workshops uh, in the United States and also in Russia and the rest of the world in order for even a sort of like reformist program created by a Bernie Sanders or a Varoufakis or a Salazar, whoever's going to come out in the future, to actually push that forward. Because the people, whether they're the oligarchs in the United States or Russia or Saudi Arabia, they will fight tooth and fucking nail to keep their power. And this is why with the crisis that happened 10 years ago this week, Lehman's uh, brothers collapsed, you know, neoliberalism did not die from that. And it's because we on the left did not have the power institutionally or in the streets, even ideologically, to have a better alternative and to have the feet on the ground in order to actually intervene in that struggle. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. And I mean, actually, 10 years ago, yeah, Lehman happened. And then a few months later, Barack Obama was elected in this, you know, huge wave and young people and people of color came out. And a lot of people thought that, you know, he had built a movement that would then hold him to progressive reforms. And of course, that was naive. He pretty much disbanded all of it immediately and turned things over to people like Geithner. And yes. uh, here we are. So I, I 100% agree with you on this. We We need mass movements, but we also need electoral politics we need an inside outside game and uh i hope we spend the rest of our lives building one okay and side note i like how Giannis Varoufakis called it a quote progressive international because that's the word i also use when i'm trying to couch my marxism for mainstream outlets <laughs> <laughs> look it's it's uh honestly it's pretty valuable i think to couch marxism for mainstream outlets i think there's a lot of receptivity to it from you know you, we were talking at the beginning of the show about how i came to the left and I'm 34 years old, but I constantly meet people of my rough, you know, upper middle class, liberal, educated, whatever demographic who are just like me, but, you know, five or 10 or even more years younger. And they didn't like hit socialism in their early 30s. Like they, they come right out of college feeling this way because, yeah, it was 10 years ago and we've all seen uh, what a decade in the wake of, uh, of of the 08 collapse has brought. And I think young people who might have been inclined toward li uh, liberalism 10 years ago are uh, are breaking with it now. Yep, and that's a reason why I'm totally fine with, at least in the mainstream media and conversation, using progressive 
and democratic socialist in ways that are maybe a little bit slippery because it's all about bringing people in and getting them interested and people whose hearts are in the right place. Once you join DSA, of course, you will be treated to all kinds of discussions about what socialism actually means. But that's uh, that's all the whole delicious point. You know, it's all part of the it. Delicious left. Just one thing I'll, I'll say, or at least I, I would have said it back when I was an anarchist before I became a uh, Delon dude. <laughs> uh, is Dudes for Delon. Talk about scabs and rats. but Yeah, yeah I, I registered to vote and I just voted for Delon for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> for every single ballot line. Yeah. <laughs> Attorney General. Vote him in for the judges. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the second international uh, was, the, uh, of course, the Social Democratic International. And a lot of people in it were not, you know, w- were communists. They just saw that as being the strategy for pushing towards a communist revolution one day and like one day getting rid of the state or whatever. And then, of course, in the course of the Russian Revolution, uh, Lenin arrives from exile and says, eh, let's just do the whole fucking thing. Get rid of the provisional government. Let's abolish the police. Get rid of the, the military. Let's end the war immediately. And let's have an international revolution right here, starting here right now. So, yeah, if you want to use these... Uh, you know, cover terms like progressive international or whatever, but you are a revolutionary, just keep in mind that one day you might have to join the party of anarchy against the party of order. Nah, there you Fair go. enough. There you that's go. A, that's, a, that's an optimistic future you're predicting, and I, and I look forward to it. That's yeah. what we're all about here at the Antifada. That is the Antifada mindset. As they say, liberalism is working, folks. So I have, I don't want to say a mea culpa, but perhaps, perhaps a clarification on something that I published on Friday about the election, the primary results. Ooh, the plot thickens. So I wrote an op-ed for NBC News' uh, opinion vertical, which is called Think. And uh, I will, this is probably TMI, but I was in the throes of a horrible, gross health thing called a UTI while I was writing it. Universal total income. Exactly. (laughs) So I was uh, maybe didn't edit it uh, myself as well as I should have. My editor was very good and she made it into something very readable. But um, your husband was uh, very good by taking you to the clinic as soon as it opened up in the morning and getting you a nice bagel with I it was a I believe a a, was it a cinnamon raisin bagel with um, (laughs) uh, locks and cream cheese. That might be the most fucked up thing you've said to me this whole time. <laughs> the divorce is The on. entire time we've been doing this show. That's probably what caused I the thought that was the. I thought that was the official bagel order of Democratic Social. Oh it is now. It is now. <laughs> Julia Hey-o. spread the good word, the gospel. Oh, no, it was Cynthia. It was Cynthia. Oh, I'm sorry. That sorry. One yeah. sorry, Julia. Yeah. Uh, my Julia would never eat a bagel. <laughs> Julia, Julia's connection to her Jewish heritage is strong. She makes that. her own goddamn yeah. bagels, all right? Exactly. She puts the locks and the raisins right in her own bagels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, so I included this line, which could probably be misconstrued, um, or just like people will read it who know me from DSA and be like, what? Like, that doesn't sound like something Jamie would say. I said, we can debate the finer points of social democracy and democratic socialism once we've defeated the reactionary right and neoliberal center. Now, this is something I wrote for mainstream audiences, but I still wanted to let them know that this is even a thing, right? The debate of social democracy versus democratic socialism. Versus I don't think that's self-evident other to the readers of, that, the, of NBC. I think that's fair to do. Yeah, versus like, you know, other things that I maybe can't say in NBC, like fully automated gay luxury <laughs> space communism, just to throw out one example. <laughs> Wait for the FALC vertical. It's going to be fucking lit. I mean, you never know, man. Think straight. I, I'm writing for them. I didn't think that would happen ever. So like, who knows? So like, As Lennon said, we give them the ropes to hang themselves with. 
Indeed. So, <laughs> if my editor is listening, these are all jokes. We are That's joke a metaphorical humor rope podcast. to metaphorically hang oneself with. <laughs> so, so anyway, you know, I think she might be on our side. I well, think she as Gita Board said, the humanity will not be free until the guts of the last capitalist are used to hang the last bureaucrat. Indeed. Use that in your next MAC article. Are you listening, George Soros? <laughs> Thanks for the check. Literally afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, I wanted to just put it on people's radar. You know, the normies reading this, that this is a debate that is happening, that mu- that will eventually happen, but also that I'm not going to harangue them about it right now, right? Like I'm not going to write op-eds for NBC about how Bernie's not a real socialist and like denounce him from the left. So like... I don't mean for this to apply within the left. And if anyone has ever listened to our show before, which, you know, if you're listening right now, you have, like, you know that I am all about having this debate within the left. See, I'm but I, actually, I think it should stay, like, in the family, you know? I'm tweeting Barry Weiss, uh, DMing her. I slipped into her DMs as we speak to let her know about your hypocrisy. So <laughs> oh expect uh, to be called out and ratted on and fired because uh, that's how Barry do. Well, fair enough. We are getting a divorce, so yeah, you know, fair. all's fair when you're getting yeah, a divorce, can, I guess. Maybe you can marry her. But like, marry up. I just wanna, I just wanna spotlight something. I know this isn't on the sound sheet, but I'm kind of pissed off. People don't know what a sound sheet is, anyways. <laughs> Go for it. I just, I just wanna <laughs> highlight this because I was so, so nice and so above board when writing about this DSA stuff off, for queen. a mainstream publication. Go the fuck because off. it's not because I don't have opinions on the fights that are currently going on within the organization it's not because i am not on a certain side it's not because i have not joined a particular radical left caucus called the libertarian socialist caucus no it's because it makes us look messy and the people reading it really don't care so i think i showed i showed enough restraint in fact so that none other than nomiki const who I do not agree with on a lot of things within DSA, yet I still see her as a comrade. She shared my article. That's how non-sectarian it was. And it made me feel really good. It made me feel good. It made me feel connected to to Nomiki, who is a very sweet person, who I like very much. Um, so When we can get Nomiki cons to retweet Comrade Communicator, we know <laughs> we have left unity. So imagine my chagrin, then, when I opened up the paper of record and saw an op-ed by a guy who wrote a biography of Michael Harrington. His name is not important right now because I don't have it on the screen. But, uh... (laughs) Go on, go on. No, 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 that's good. I like that. Keep that, keep that. It's funny. No, it's funny. His name doesn't matter. (laughs) It's funny. Yeah, they're all the same, really. In the dustbin of history already. (laughs) So, uh... We are revolutionary after a couple of So it's called, Who Are You Calling a Quote... Harringtonite. Okay. And the subhead is what Michael Harrington, once America's most famous socialist, would think about his political descendants. And you have to say would because he's mad dead right now. So he, it's all speculation. But go on. Yep. He's dead. And uh, I, I only wish he were alive to see his organization get taken over by communists anyway. <laughs> Um, maybe there's an afterlife and he is a ghost and he's hovering over our meetings feeling sad. That would make me happy. Anyway, see how this is, see how, see how I'm allowed to talk trash on a podcast and not in a mainstream publication. Uh, I'm doing, you know, it's like Jake Flores said, it's all about context and audience. This is your platform. We have a certain, uh, lexicon for Antifada that does not exist in, uh, NBC news. Yeah. Like I can say, fuck you, Barry Weiss, you fucking scab rat piece of shit. Fuck you. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) indeed. 
anyway, this guy, this guy who's been in DSA since, you know, blah, 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 when it wasn't doing anything, it was just like endorsing John Kerry and shit, and there were like only a few thousand of them nationwide, proceeds to write an op-ed in the paper of record for mostly people who are not in DSA and don't care about our eternal fights, um, and proceeds to throw shade on the leftists, all the left, all the young, naive leftists who joined the organization since 2016 and, uh, you know, maybe we're making it better in some ways. Maybe we're doing all kinds of shit when we were doing shit before, but we are also ruining it with our purity politics. And he held up the fact that there were people that were no, that were voting no on the Nixon endorsement as evidence of these purity politics, as if, uh, you know, there couldn't possibly be any pragmatic reasons why we might oppose it. How did that turn out anyways? It, uh, you know, I guess we'll, we'll see. There's an argument to be made that we get something out of it, even if we don't win. But uh, personally, I don't think it's really going to do that much for us. Anyway. I just want to correct one thing. Um, John Kerry's um, marginal notes. He, he put out a publication for zero books uh, back before he ran for president where he dissected uh, Mao's on contradiction <laughs> uh, line by line and uh, made some Gramscian points. He kind of made some Althusserian points. That was the height of praxis. So I do not blame DSA in 2004 for backing Comrade Carey. All right, clearly I have some, <laughs> something to learn about Comrade Carey that I didn't know before. <laughs> the, guy, the kind of guy that would throw his medals away, you don't think he's a fucking commie? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Anyway. He's a flopper, honestly. John, <laughs> Carey, <laughs> John Kerry is the kind of person who's like legitimately wealthy enough that he can afford to be uh, a secret commie. Hell yeah. Yo. He should be our angles. Yeah. Yo, Kerry, if you're listening, we want that Heinz money. We'll take $57,000 <laughs> right now. Uh, if you $57,000. <laughs> Damn it. That's like the fucking Austin Powers thing. $1 million. Every movement, every movement needs its angles. Yeah, that's right. John Kerry, you are our new Frederick Angles. Um, we appreciate all your support. And uh, we've created the $50,000 monthly tier just for you. I feel like someone might have actually said that sincerely about Cynthia Nixon. I don't know. Anyway, he like goes through. He really he proceeds to like just trash the fuck out of us, right? Like all these new young people, they're doing sectarianism, they're doing purity politics. He's like equating uh, the right wing of DSA with pragmatism and the left wing with ideology, as if he doesn't have an ideology of his own. And he just goes through, and it's just very bizarre for me to see this kind of like. Inside baseball, this kind of dirty laundry that is like, it's healthy. It's healthy to have debate within a leftist organization, especially sure. one that's multi-tendency you would like want ours. That. You'd but want like, that. to put it in the pages of the New York Times, it's just like, why? Well, and really, it's not even, I, I actually miss this whole thing, but it's not even so much that he puts it in the pages of the New York Times. It's like, why does he think the New York Times is running that? Well, right? why like, did they're not, they They're run not going to run your take arguing no. the opposite side of it, right? Because it's this is, they're, they're, they're running it because it's like left-on-left left violence, and they like mm -hmm. that. But isn't it also, too, in a sense that if they have to grapple with the AOCs and the Salazars of the world, like they, the New York Times folks, the uh, Nira Tandon, well... The people who are more open than near attend in the Democratic Party want the DSA to ultimately go back to Harringtonism. They do not want to imagine that they're actually facing an organization that is multi-tendency and has people in that that literally want to destroy everything that these people believe in. Well, yeah, I mean, duh. <laughs> I think that's plausible, But it's right? just like... They every... want to believe. Although, I'm, well, I'm sure there are some people who, who want DSA co-opted, and then there are probably other people who want DSA to be seen as 
too fringe and radical for people sure. to... Well, yeah, but, 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 it goes back to the different so, liberal reactions to and, the and, Julius Salazar victory, and, right? And conservative reactions. Like the, the, the point, I think, of this whole conversation, and I think it's, it's brought us to this interesting moment, is that like now that there's 50,000 members, and now what's important about Julius' victory is that it's forcing all sorts of people from the whole spectrum, you know, of like the bourgeois media, bourgeois politicians, and even folks who didn't even know anything about, you know, this massive upsurge of like Occupy Wall Street or whatever, to confront for the first time that there is something different out there. And they're going to approach it in different ways. There's going to be the Barry Weiss way, right, which is to say that, you know, you can't trust socialists. They lie just like Trump. They'll do whatever they can to do whatever they could do to get into power. They uh, follow Will Menneker thought. You know, they're fucking monsters. And you're going to get other folks who are like, oh, these people can't be so bad like they run elections maybe we can bring them into our boat but the important point is that i think that they are forced in the new york times to start reckoning with what it means now that socialism is a word that becomes more and more out there and acceptable for i think the majority of young people nowadays it is what they want instead of capitalism so like they're racking their brains i think trying to figure out what the fuck this means right yeah Yeah, i mean i think ocasio's victory was a will probably go down as a signal moment. You would think that Bernie Sanders' campaign would have, but it really took to Ocasio, uh, which just, you know, completely blindsided the media, completely blindsided the Democratic establishment. And suddenly it was like, oh, DSA, this is an organization we should probably report on. And some of that reporting is going to be terrible and unfair and infuriating. But the, the truth is just acknowledging that DSA is a political player at all is a huge leap forward. And um, and also Ocasio, I mean, you, you couldn't ask for a... Uh, a more appealing kind of public face of, of DSA politics nationally. So, I mean, that's that's been a miraculous development, and I think it's made a lot of things possible. I, th- oh, yeah. I think it just goes to show that this Barry Weiss attitude, that there's, like, you know, these extreme people who are ruining everything for the majority of people that are in the center, all these normal people <laughs> who have common, you know, like, uh, common sense. Um, it's bullshit, and it shouldn't be replicated within radical organizations. There shouldn't be this fiction that there's a normal person out there that we have to appeal to and we have mm. to pivot towards. Would you say a regular-ass person? Yeah, there's all kinds of <laughs> bullshit, you know, straw men, normal people that should make us moderate our thoughts and our desires, and it shouldn't happen in the Democratic Party. It shouldn't happen in the DSA. Obviously, the Republicans love the freaks. So, oh, like, sure, yeah. Uh, you know, but they're going to paint but they're going to paint anybody to the left of like the democratic consensus as freaks anyways. I mean they already called Obama a socialist for fucking 8 years, which is why socialism is like like vaguely popular even among people who might not even really be socialists. They called right? Hillary a socialist. Yeah. She, was, she was an yeah. Alinskyite. We yeah. were, you yeah. know. I mean So they're going to they're going to drag on quote... socialism regardless, but they are the class enemy. Like this is what you said in your article where like the fight is against the reactionary right and then also the neoliberal center. This is really the battle that's come down to now like differentiating ourselves and be then in the broadest sense from politics as usual and whether that's setting up you know um international like think tank foundations for like what a progressive internationalism would mean or creating mass socialist multi-tenancy organizations right like it's happening it's all happening yeah and i write it's almost sort of analogous to when uh liberals say to us like hey, the most important thing right now is beating the far right. We know how to win. You need to bend the knee to us, right? And then, you know, the left says to them, you know, no, if you want to beat the right, you need to bend the knee to us. Now, like, I I would go a step further to the left and include the neoliberal center in that and say... I mean, there's no conflict there because we are the only ones who know how to defeat the right. 
history has shown, like if you just elect more neoliberals, you're only buying yourself a little bit of time. You're also throwing more fuel on the fire that feeds reaction around the world. So let's see how Macron's uh, politics do in the next election with Le Pen. With his fucking, remember we dragged on him on that one episode? Like, he is, his fucking uh, popularity is down in the 30s right now. And you don't think that his disgusting labor market reforms and fucking warmed over diversity neoliberalism isn't going to drive more people into the hands of the fucking National Front? Like, you cannot, as we said before, you cannot defeat fucking fascism with radical centrist fucking neoliberal diversity bullshit. We need to have diversity, but you can't just run on saying, I am not Le Pen or I am not Trump. Dead ass. But where I was going with this was <laughs> the, the neoliberal <laughs> center is also a foe that needs to be defeated. And in uniting to defeat them, I'm willing to set aside for a minute the fact that I am a, basically an anarcho-communist that like most closely describes my uh, ideology. And I'm willing to work with fucking Harringtonites to defeat this more important evil. And I only wish that they could extend the same courtesy to us, you know? It kind, it just kind of, it kind of hurts my feelings a little bit. And I did a tweet about it. And in this tweet, I said, "Quote: When I write about DSA-related stuff for mainstream publications, I take out anything too sectarian because one, it's a bad look, and two, most people reading don't care. Wish my comrades in the right wing of the org would return the favor. But uh, you know, I'm sorry for the digression. I just had to get it out there, and uh, I just hope that if anyone at the New York Times is listening, they will let me <laughs> respond in an op-ed of my own. Cause like, man, like when. It Barry, sucks. publish, publish, Jeremy. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I this try, is where this is all going. This episode <laughs> this is the audition episode. tape. I try so hard to be nice, all right? I try so fucking hard. And then they give me this bullshit. It's like, how am I supposed to respond to that? They totally mischaracterize the Noah Nixon arguments. It's like fucking bullshit. And it's, so, it's like, oh, you pretty things. It's not like angry at us. It's just like Barry, if you can publish Ion Hirsi Ali twice, you can publish Jamie Peck once. Right? It's not too much to ask. I am your black swan. <laughs> the, the the Southern Poverty Law Center has uh, gone after Ion. I, what, what's the worst thing you can say about Jamie, really? Don't answer that. <laughs> I guess. I just wonder. You know, you, you say you talk a nice fucking game about being nice to people with uh, divergent ideas, divergent thoughts, divergent tactics. If you sat down with the editorial board of the New York Times and you had a pitch, could you sit there and be nice to Barry Weiss in person, to her face? Would you suck it up and be like? scab rat in your brain but a smile on your face could you do it fear factor fear factor barry weiss i mean i was nice to my boss at death and taxes so probably okay how about jordan peterson it's kind of the worst oh Um, i'd be very nice to jordan peterson i would just want to i would want to get him to talk i would just want to hear like the weirdest shit he has to say daddy i I want to hear your words i wouldn't be nice when i like published whatever i published (laughs) but in the meantime no i want to i want to i actually want to go to toronto and visit his house and see his massive soviet art collection which sounds incredible because apparently jordan peterson the most normal person in (laughs) north america uh needs to be surrounded by soviet imagery at all times to remind himself of like the dangers of the left and i mean i i also like that's surrounding... all, the sw- all the swastikas in our apartment by the way, are for that reason jamie and i always want to remind ourselves with the giant nazi flags what not to do with our lives so I, was, I was gonna say i also surround myself with with soviet you know propaganda but 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 for somewhat different reasons you and zizek but... wait yeah. is it like when jordan peterson dresses in drag to remind himself how terrible trans people are wait that's the thing he does that one i haven't heard about oh there's pictures what? are you wow. fucking serious i don't know i don't know I if he said 
says that's why oh. he does it. I think he just came up with some like weird excuse to do it. They but, like, all do it. You know, all what? of the anti-SJWs love cross-dress. Oh, <laughs> dude, Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani oh, was yeah. the king. It was like mayor cross-dressing. I mean, I respect Crowder, it. Crowder, Gavin everyone yes, they all do it right now. Crowder, they love it. By the way, when you gain Jordan Pearson's trust, can you say, oh, I have a delicious uh, iced tea for you? And it's actually apple cider. Oh, oh no. <laughs> and he I did on not it. sleep for a week. As, as previously oh, discussed, okay. apples are his kryptonite, which was very amusing to Sam at the majority report. Normal. Because, Sam Cider. Normal man. Normal, bra- normal because, brain uh, human being. Uh, Sam Cider has been known to enjoy an apple or two. Yeah. <laughs> So not to put too fine a point on it, but I did want to circle back around a little bit to the libs and this Russia stuff. Because, <laughs> because She turned her seat to Andy when she said circle around. Yes. <laughs> like, the degree to which they have no systemic analysis of it is just... I mean, it's, it's shocking. But, like, if you're just a normal person watching all this go down... You wouldn't think that the Russia story has anything to do with like global capitalism or oligarchy or anything. Like, I hate to keep referencing Aussie Fest, but like they really, really that was the main theme, the main theme of the day, and like no one was excited about it. Like even Hillary Clinton herself didn't seem that excited about it. She was a little bit excited about it, but um, it really. We're really speaking, you're really speaking, I think, to the limits of liberalism with regard to understanding the Russia story, because these people cheered the fall of the Soviet Union and have no understanding, or maybe they aren't allowed to understand how it directly led to this like corrupt oligarchy that interfered in our election, because if they were to look at the full picture, it would completely invalidate their worldview and their acceptance of global capitalism yeah i mean you know it's been it's been very weird for me because i i studied russian history in uh, college and grad school and I, I lived there for a bit and uh you know i i cared about russia prior to 2016 and and i can tell you that most people didn't for most of the time that i was studying it i mean most people on the left didn't most liberal Democrats didn't. Uh, a certain kind of John McCain strain of Republican cared a lot about restarting the Cold War, and I would always criticize them. But that was pretty much it. And this this fascination that everyone has with Russia all of a sudden is actually very new. And it, you know, people read different things into it. If you're if you're a Hillary supporter, if you're, that, you know, a, a centrist, uh, you, you probably... Uh, you know, see Russia as the the kind of shadowy explanation for everything that shattered your world in 2016. Uh, you know, it's new for this time period. Right? Yeah, like, no, of course, of course, there are antecedents in the Cold War and everything. But I'm telling you, there was a good decade or so, uh, really a good 20 years, when people were not that interested in Russia. Isn't uh, it fascinating too, like going back to the history of the privatization, and you said uh, Jeffrey Sachs and uh, George H. W. Bush and Clinton. You know, it's almost like we like it was like a hit and run. You know, like the United States, the Cold War is over. The Soviet Union falls. The uh, Soviet Union turns into the Russian Federation, right? Russia is now not no longer a quote-unquote really existing socialist state. And there were various avenues to go. And I think, tell me if I'm wrong, but the average Russian person wanted something more like Sweden, say, for the transition out of what they had. They wanted democratic rights, but they wanted to retain full employment and the pension system and the health care system. And that was very, 
very, uh, how should I say, deliberately uh, kind of taken away from them by the powers that be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say exactly what the average Russian person wanted. I mean, there was definitely a generational split, and it was a chaotic time. But what is true is that the U.S. firmly put its uh, thumb on the scales. And, you know, the WTO and IMF and everything firmly put their thumb on the scales of rapid privatization uh, and uh, whatever political measures necessary to make sure communism had no... Uh, democratic, legitimate comeback of any kind. But even without communism per se, right? Cause yeah, people... The, if, the Yeltsin election. If you went to the average, let's say in like in 1992, okay? Yeah. Or 93, you went to the average Russian person, you said, all of these state-owned companies are going to be turned into shares, right? But right. There's going to be a massive deflationary, I'm sorry, inflationary spiral within the economy, tons of job losses, so that the only way that you can actually survive for the next five to ten years is by selling off at a very low price these shares in these publicly held uh, uh, state industries to a group of oligarchs who are going to buy them using cheap loans from the West and make themselves into an oligarchic class that will then fucking, you know, completely exploit you for the next 30 years while you, you know, suffer a fall in life expectancy and health outcomes and income and pensions and everything like that. That is not... I. Tell me if I'm wrong. No, you, you actually explained that beautifully. Thanks, and, but but yeah, that's no, not what people wanted. No, of course nobody wanted that to happen. I mean, I, I, all I was saying is kind of hard to say exactly what people did want. I mean, they'd sure. sort of seen their world collapse. But, uh, but they, they wanted did, blue jeans and Elvis. Yeah, they didn't. And Well, you know, and some of that is true. I mean, I think younger people really did want more, and even before the Soviet Union fell, wanted more exposure to you know, rock and roll and so on. And uh, and, and who can blame Rock them, and but... roll, the capitalist American op to <laughs> overthrow communism around the world as described by comrade Ian Spinonius right. in uh, one of, of his show. major oh, yeah. works. And uh, a fellow Washingtonian. Yes, he but, is. Yeah, um, Nation of Ulysses, shout out. Makeup, shout out. Maybe he'll Chain come on the, the show shout. someday. He's You're still invited. To be on the fucking You're show. still invited. Ian, hit us back, man. You Do it, Ian. Fucking e- episodes 5, 7, 10, and 15 were all supposed to be you. But no, you, you did explain that really well. And uh, I think the the chaos and disruption that that brought in people's lives is a real thing. If you go to Russia, that you know, 9 out of 10 people you talk to are going to tell you that the 90s were a disaster, probably more than that. And um, and and you can see the, the effects of it all around you. And uh, not only did people die, I'm sorry to interrupt, the number of female orgasms cratered. <laughs> there have been studies done, not the most important casualty, but important nonetheless. That's Do go on. Um, I, I, I'm curious about this. <laughs> I want to know more. But uh, <laughs> I'm, there was I'm not... an article in, once again, the paper of record. I remember they had that whole thing about how... Sex uh, was better under socialism. Yeah, which um, I was a little skeptical that that was true, but I, I, I have to admit I wasn't there. Spoken so. like a true brochure. Have yeah. more optimism for the future, comrade. I, 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 I have no doubt left. that our, our future socialist paradise will be very good for sex. There will be so much foreplay, we won't even get to play. <laughs> It'll just be like tantric all the time. We'll just be having sex all the time because we don't have to go to work. Right. And there's so many genders, you know. And so and there'll be, awesome. you know, universal uh, birth control on demand that people people will be very safe. Yeah. Well, women actually, won't depend on men for their very survival. So men will have to be interesting and good at sex. That, that's fascinating. That's, that's a lot to ask of men. Really. <laughs> <laughs> it's the least actually women should ask of men, right? We do enough shitty things. We should at least be able to fuck. Good. Thank you. Yeah, we could just do that. I'm I'm done honestly. I think I've I, spoken my piece. Yeah, piece. I think we all have. So if you if your serious point is a good one, then go, go for, for it. it if comment. it doesn't work, then yeah. all right, we'll, all right. We'll work it out. So TLDR, the more I learn we about this story, we already know about the UTI, but yes, go on. <laughs> the more I learn about this story, 
The more I read of David's work on this story, the more I talk with my fellow non-dumb-dumb leftists who understand the ins and outs of oligarchy and uh, what's, how, what's really going on with our democracy, the more I think, how is this not a story about how democracy and capitalism are fundamentally incompatible? How is this not something that we can use on the left not to reinforce the neoliberal status quo, not to get another Hillary Clinton elected, but to show if you really believe in democracy, if you really believe in popular representation, if you really believe that the people should have a voice in the government, not just in America, not just versus Putin, but like all over the world, this is a really good example. What else could I do? I said, oh, I see what I can do. I took her to a supermarket I don't know why but I had to start somewhere So it started there I said pretend you got no money And she just laughed and said Are you so funny? I said yeah I can't see anyone else smiling Are you sure? You wanna live like common people Such a laugh. Yeah. And the chipsticks of Greece will come out in the back. 